0: You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. I, I will uh, f- want to say something from the beginning. Two things. One is that no, uh, Pastor Rick and I did not coordinate our outfit today beforehand, um, some ministers in some church traditions wear robes, other traditions they wear suits. I guess in our tradition today we wear white and gray flannel. So um, we did not coordinate that. Second thing I wanted to say before we get going this morning is I wanted to say just a heartfelt thank you uh, to you as a church family. Uh, many of you know that uh, the last few weeks of 2023 were difficult weeks uh, in my household for my family. Um, on December the 12th, I was having lunch with Pastor Rick, and we were not matching that day, but we were having lunch after a staff meeting, and my wife, Sammy, called me, and she said, hey, I am really dizzy, uh, I feel super sick, I don't feel normal, I need you to come pick me up, I can't drive, and so I went and picked her up and drove her straight to the ER. Long story short, uh, she had experienced a stroke that day, and we spent the next five days in the ICU, and a couple of weeks after that, that were very... Uh, uncertain and challenging and, and difficult for us. By God's grace, she is improving every day and doing much better. Um, and thank you, by God's grace, you you have sustained us. God through you has sustained us over those last few weeks. And so I just want to say that before we go any further. Thank you for how you've prayed for us, how you've checked in on us and visited us, how you've fed us. I think I've gained uh, 15 pounds uh, because of how well you fed us. And so thank you for that. And I want you to know that we love you and I felt very loved by this church in this season. Okay, Um, please open your Bible to Romans chapter 8. Open your Bible to Romans 8. Get your Bible on your phone. Get Romans 8 in front of you. We're starting a new series as we begin a new year in Romans 8. And Romans chapter 8 is the heart of the book of Romans. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul in roughly AD 57 to the church in Rome. Paul was actually in Corinth, interestingly enough, as we worked through 1 Corinthians last year. Paul wrote... Uh, Romans from Corinth, the gospel was spreading, the church was expanding, Paul wanted to get to Rome, but he couldn't get to Rome, and so he writes Romans, which is, uh, by many accounts, the most complete uh, teaching, the most robust teaching that we have on the gospel and all of its effects in the New Testament. It is such a powerful book. And Romans 8 is the heart. Romans 8 has been called by many the Bible's greatest chapter. And it's been called that because it's packed with gospel truth and with rich theology. If you look at your worship guide that you received, you can see kind of what we're going to walk through over the next eight weeks as we soak in Romans 8. We're going to learn about our justification and about our sanctification and about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and about our adoption as children of God through Christ Jesus, about our future glory in Christ, the redemption of our bodies, the reconciliation and redemption of all creation, about the Spirit's work in our weakness as human beings, about God's keeping of us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There's so much goodness in Romans 8. In fact, one pastor said this about Romans 8. They said Romans 8 is like a telescope that helps us see the gospel, right? Sometimes the gospel can feel really far off in our everyday life. It feels like maybe something that we believe intellectually or mentally about Jesus and what he's done and what it means, but it can feel very distant in our everyday life. This this pastor says Romans 8 is like a telescope that takes the gospel and brings it right up in front of us, right up into our everyday life. And I'm excited, if you can't tell, uh, about Romans 8. And I hope that you are, too. One thing I want you to know about Romans 8 as a whole is that the purpose of Romans 8 as a whole is to give us assurance. If you're a Christian this morning in the room, the purpose is to give you assurance in the Christian life. What does that mean? It means to give you confidence in Christ. It, it It means to anchor you when you doubt or when you struggle, or when you sin, or when you bump up against the effects of life in a broken and fallen world, to give you assurance, to give you confidence that you might be assured that through the Son and in the Spirit, you, you, I'm talking to you, you lack nothing because of Jesus. There's so much good news in Romans 8. Not only are we going to soak in Romans 8 on Sundays, but we are encouraging you to memorize key verses uh, in Romans 8, throughout the week, you can see that in your worship guide. With each sermon, there's a key memory verse, and I hope that you would take that challenge. Um, if you need to be challenged, or that you would take that invitation to uh, to, to memorize Scripture over the next eight weeks, um, key verses in Romans 8. Whether you write those on your mirror or on an index card and keep it with you, or, or or highlight it on your phone and save it as your screensaver, whatever it might take for you, there are key verses that we'll memorize each week. So, with that. Let me pray and we'll get into Romans chapter 8, 1 through 4. Let's pray together. God, we humbly come before you and as we open your word and as we begin this journey through Romans chapter 8, we simply pray that you would do what you do and that you would speak to us through your word, by your spirit, and that you would help us to see the fullness of what you've done in your Son. Help us, Lord, to take it into ourselves, not just to see it from a distance, but to receive it as truth for us that might actually bring change and transformation, might free us from certain ways of thinking and living. Would you move in this room this morning as we open your word? Would you speak to us? Open our ears. We want to hear from you. We want you here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read the text again, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You can underline the word law in verse 2. We'll come back to that in a moment. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God has done something that we in our weakness and our human efforts cannot do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I want to primarily focus on Romans 8.1 this morning. We're going to break it into two parts, if you're taking notes. Part one, we're going to look at what Paul means when he says, there is therefore now no condemnation. We're going to look at that first. And then part two, we're going to look at the second part of verse one, where he says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That there is now no condemnation. And what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? We're going to use verses 2 through 4 to help us understand all that Romans 8, 1 means. First, there is now no condemnation. We have to understand that Paul has been using the first seven chapters of Romans to discuss the depths of human sinfulness. He's talked in Romans chapter 1 about our condition as human beings. We are We are are sinful. We are utterly sinful as human beings, he says in Romans 8, I mean Romans chapter 1. And then he goes on from there in um, chapters 3 through 6, and he talks about the law, that God has given his law, and he talks about the purpose of God's law. God's law is like a mirror that is to be held up in front of us, and and it God's law is given to guide us and to govern us, but it also serves another purpose It really reveals to us just how sinful we really are, right? I mean, think about the Garden of Eden. Think about Adam and Eve. They're, They're given the fullness of God's presence, the abundance of the garden. They're given one law that is to guide them and to govern them into what? Into flourishing. And what does the law do? Oh, leads to temptation, which leads to sin. Think about, I did this in my home. Kids, do not look in, the, in our bedroom There's, during the month of December. Don't look in the bedroom closet. And what does the law do? Uh, leads way to temptation, which leads way to sin. And So Paul is talking about all this in Romans 1 through 7, about the depths of human sinfulness and the purpose of the law, and the law is good, but it's powerless to change us. Human effort can't Uh, change us can't change our sinful nature and in verse 15 of chapter 7 you can look there with me verse 15 of chapter 7 Paul comes to this point where he says this he says for I do not understand my own actions for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate and how many of you have been there I don't want to be that kind of father but I, I keep doing the very thing that I don't want to do how many of you have been there And then he comes to this conclusion about the power, the grip of sin in verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, this is the human condition apart from Christ. The grip of sin on our lives is strong. What Paul is doing here is he's bringing our human condition, our sinful nature into our view and he's saying that there is nothing that we in our own efforts can do to change ourselves or to free ourselves from sin's grip. It. Rules. Remember, I told you to underline law in verse 2. That's what he's talking about, the law of sin and death. It's like this governing principle over life in this world. It governs us, and we're enslaved to it, and we are gripped by it, and we can't free ourselves from its grip. And the result is that we are condemned by sin. Apart from Jesus Christ, everyone sits Condemned by sin. What does this mean? Well, first, it means that we are utterly unfit. We are not who we should be, we are not who we were created by God to be. We were made by God and for God to find the fullness of life in God. Yet each one of us has gone our own way seeking to be our own Lord and seeking life apart from God. And the result of this is that we as human beings, apart from Christ, are non-compatible to God now. We are sinners. We're non-compatible. He is holy and utterly righteous. And our sin has an effect. One, it sends us into hiding from God. And two, not only does it send us into hiding from God, but it puts us under God's righteous judgment, under God's wrath. Romans 1.18 says it this way. It says, The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men so this is our human reality as Romans 7 ends and Romans 8 begins. Our sin problem is clear. We, we don't meet God's standards. Sin's grip on us is too strong for us to break. As sinners, we are under God's judgment. We are condemned by sin. But I know that there maybe are some here who are like, that all just sounds a little too religious for me. Just sounds a little too too religious. So let me drill a bit deeper to help us understand the heart of Romans 8.1. If we're honest, if we're all really honest, we will admit that it's not just God's standards that we do not meet, is it? We even fail to meet our own standards for ourselves, don't we? Every person in this room, you fail to meet your own standards. In other words, it's not just God's law that tells us that we are condemned, that we are guilty, that we are not who we should be, but it is our own conscience that testifies to us that we are condemned. Um, uh, Confession. Um, I spent too much time on my phone in the last couple of weeks. And if you were on your phone a lot on social media, you saw a lot of stuff around the new year a lot of inspiring articles and stuff and posts about the new opportunities in front of you in the new year. And a friend of mine from high school shared this uh, post, and I read it, and it was titled, Stepping Into Your New Era. <laughs> Stepping Into Your New Era. And as I read the article, it was full of a lot of the familiar new, you, new year, new you kind of jargon that we're all accustomed to this time of year. It talked about the importance of us identifying the things in our life that need to change, or the things in our life that, need to, um, that we need to improve, which that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Identifying the not-enoughness, the insufficiency, the inadequacy that exists within us as human beings. And the article went on and talked and gave some strategies and tips on how to you know find that relationship or and change that relationship or uh, or your finances or your fitness or and how to do all of these things through manifesting your new era in your life. We can manifest manifesting it. I don't, still don't know what that means, but the article talked about it. And here's the thing that surprised me about this article: um, it had six, uh, it had thirty-six thousand likes and twelve thousand shares. Why why is it that people love this kind of stuff? Why is it that the self-help used to be aisle? Now I guess it's section on Amazon. Why is it that the self-help aisle in the bookstore is the most popular aisle, the most sold books? Why is it? I think we should... Take this question seriously. I'll tell you why. It's because human beings actually agree with God. We are not the people that we should be. We are fundamentally flawed. We need to be better. We need to improve. We should be better listeners. We should be better with money, better with food, better with our words, better at dating, better with our careers, better at fitness. We're not the friends that we could be. We are not the spouses that we should be. We are not the parents. That we ought to be. And so what do we do with all of this guilt and shame, our not enoughness, our guiltiness? Well, we make resolutions. We get to work self-improving. Some people try religion. We start manifesting. But New Year's resolutions don't fix us. We cannot muster enough human willpower to change ourselves. At best, at best, hear me, at best, we create new versions of ourselves who are still under the law, under the grip, the rule of sin. We trade food, enslaved to food, for fitness. Now I'm enslaved to fitness. Whatever it might be. Are you with me? Apart from Jesus Christ, we are condemned by sin, under the law of sin and death, wretched indeed, as Paul says. But notice Notice what Paul says in Romans 8.1. There's a therefore, and then there's a now that's really important. He says that there is actually a new era available for us to step into. There's actually a new you available. And it's not an illusion. It's not make-believe of human fantasy and willpower. It's real. He says, therefore, there is therefore now No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul wants us to know that God has done something that is definitive. God offers something in the gospel that changes everything for the person who believes. And that change is now, he says. The moment that you step into Christ through repentance and faith. Look at how he explains this in verse 2 and 3. He tells us how this is possible for there to be this new change, this n- no condemnation in us. Verse 2, he says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's a new reality. There's a something new that governs those who have been set free by the old way that governs us. Verse 3, For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So in in humanity clothed in flesh, yet without sin, he sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Here's what Paul is trying to help us see. He's saying that, Even our very best efforts, our religious law-keeping or our irreligious self-improving, either way, our best human efforts cannot free us from the law of sin and death. Why? Because its grip is too tight. The law of sin and death, it dictates everything in you and it dictates everything in this world. We live in a world of sin and death, but God has made a way out God has made a way out. He frees you from the, the cruel dictator of sin and death. Let me give you an illustration to try and help us. We know something, uh, we know something about a law that dictates everything around us. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the laws in our land. Uh, there there's a lot of people that find they're able to avoid the laws of the land. By the way, it's tax season. Don't avoid your taxes. Taxes are coming. And people can uh, I'm not talking about that law. There's a different law. It dictates literally everything in our life. It's called the law of gravity. Okay? It dictates everything. If I took this microphone and I threw it in the air, the law of gravity is going to determine that it comes back down and hits the ground. The The law of gravity is keeping you in your seat right now. You could work as much as you could work until you are worn out doing squats and calf raises, all sorts of things to try try and increase your vertical jump. And you could stand up right now and jump in the air, but guess what? The law of gravity will bring you back down. It dictates everything in this life. This is like human effort religion, or even secular irreligious self-improvement under the law of sin. We can work, and we can work, and we can work, but the law of sin and death always brings us back down. Now, okay, now that we've talked about the law of gravity, I want you to think for a minute about a 747 aircraft. A 747 uh, weighs roughly 400,000 pounds. When it is full of fuel, and it's full of people and all of their bags— it weighs somewhere around 750,000 pounds. And so if you apply the law of gravity to a 747, a 747 should not be able to fly. The law of gravity should pull it down. But when you realize that a 747 has these incredible engines and you see them fire and feel it fire, and you hear the engines roar, and you watch a 747 take off, you realize that there is actually a higher force at work. And what is that other force doing? It's not denying the laws of gravity, is it? No, it's superseding the laws of gravity. It's breaking through the laws of gravity. Are you with me? Paul says here, God has done something definitive In Jesus Christ, that supersedes the law of sin and death, that through the cross of the Son and through the life-giving power of the Spirit, God lifts us up out of sin and death, freeing us from the grip of sin and death that we might soar. Wow, this is good news. Paul says, look at it again. There is therefore now no condemnation, you're free, for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened, what we cannot do. God has done what we could not do by sending His own Son, who became like us in sinful flesh, sending Him for our sin to condemn our sin and His bodily death and resurrection. This is the gospel. He condemns. The very thing that ruthlessly rules over our lives. God so loved you. God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world. What does John 3, 17 say? Not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He dies our death. He takes our place, our condemnation upon himself. He bears our shame. He pays our price, that through him we could be lifted up like a 747 and set free from sin, its demands, its consequences, and all of its effects. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through repentance and faith, in the life, death, and resurrection, there is now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Wow. What does this mean? That there is no condemnation. We need to be thorough here. This is important. First of all, it means that we are set free from sin's penalty. The, for the wages of sin is death. It means that we are set free from sin's penalty. Jesus dies our death. This is, what, um, this is the doctrine of justification. It, it, it means that we're made right with God, no longer under God's wrath. Jesus Takes our place. We are made right with God. And so uh, this is this this is what we this is the that our our life is secure. Our future is secure in Christ. But it's more than this. Justification is just the beginning of what it means that there is no condemnation for us. Verse 4 is going to go on and tell us that Jesus opens up a doorway for us to learn to live a new life in the Spirit. This is all next week. We're going to get into this next week. Not only are we saved from God's judgment, but we are freed from all of the ways that sin continues to nip at us and provoke us in this life. We're free from all the way that sin tries to drag us down, even still in the Christian life. Let me try and say this another way. There are a lot of Christians, perhaps even some in this room this morning, that are certain about their justification. Like, you are certain that when you die, you will be in the Lord's presence. You're certain about that. But those same Christians are also certain that God in this very moment is ashamed of them. Those same Christians are also certain that God in this very moment is disappointed in them. That God wants them to do better. God demands that they work harder. Do you see what I'm saying? But Paul says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, you are free from condemnation. Jesus was condemned to, to condemn sin. You are free You are enough. You are accepted. You are beloved. How can this be? Well, this is why we need to dig into the second part of the verse. Those who are in Christ Jesus. What does it mean, church, to be in Christ? The Apostle Paul loves this phrase. In fact, I dare you just to pick any of Paul's letters and start reading it and circle every time you see the phrase in Christ. Your Bible will be whatever color pen you have. Paul loves this phrase. In fact, Paul uses it so much that smarty-pants theologians created a doctrine for this phrase. It's called union with Christ. Paul loves this phrase. He uses it everywhere. Let me try and help you understand it. I think this is key. There's a distinction between believing in Christ, upon Christ, through repentance and faith, and being in Christ. There's a distinction. We believe upon him in repentance and faith, who he is, what he's done for us. We believe it. And then upon believing it, we are then now positioned in Christ. We are put in a new place. Our standing changes. Let me give you an illustration. A few months ago, I came home uh, from a full day. And when I got home, my daughter, Maddie, gave me this little card. See this? It says, to Dad, from Maddie, and it has a unicorn on it. And then I opened it up, and inside of it was another envelope. <laughs> to Dad, from Maddie. And I opened it up, and there was a card. Little heart with a unicorn sticker on the back. It does say Believe in Magic on it. We'll, get, we'll work on that. We'll get there. But you open it up, and it's got these little stickers, and it says, I love you, Dad. I love you, Dad what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? It means to be enveloped, indwelt and enveloped in every way by Jesus Christ, your Savior. His life-giving spirit within you, his righteousness, his perfect life, his belovedness surrounding you. What does it mean to be in Christ? you see it? There is therefore now no condemnation. Your sins past and present and future enveloped by Christ. Your shame, your bad habits, your not enoughness, your things you need to work on, enveloped by Christ's perfect righteousness. When God looks upon you, when, right now, not in the future, right now. He doesn't see you as yourself and all of your inadequacies. He sees you in Christ. Wow. Please hear me, brothers and sisters. Being in Christ is the truest thing about you right now. It is the truest thing about you. Your failed marriage in the past is not the truest thing about you. You know why? Because your past is in Christ. Your present struggles, you know, that, that thing that you just can't stop falling into temptation over? Your present struggles are not the truest thing about you because you are seated right now in the present with Christ in the heavenly places. Your future uncertainties are not the truest thing about you. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, this doesn't mean that our struggles aren't real. This doesn't mean that our future might not be concerning. It doesn't mean that our present sins don't have consequences. They certainly do. And it doesn't mean that our sins don't grieve the heart of our loving Father. But it means that there is a greater truth that supersedes all of those things. You remember our 747, how it supersedes the law of gravity? It doesn't undo the laws of gravity, but it's greater than the laws of gravity. The same is true with the gospel. We still live in a world of sin and death. We call this the already, but not yet. We still live in the world of sin and death, but what God has done for us in the gospel frees us in every way from sin's rule and its power and its grip over God. Our lives. And so here's what this means for you. If you are a Christian this morning, if you are in Christ by faith, it means that you are actually two places at once right now. You're actually two places at once. You're sitting in a chair in Round Rock, Texas, and you are sitting in Christ. And one of those things supersedes the other. In other words, this building could be plummeted right now with an asteroid. But your place in Christ can never be threatened. Are you with me? You could lose your job tomorrow, but you will never go unprovided for by the Father. You might continue to lose a specific battle with temptation in your life, but you will never be condemned. You are victorious in Christ. One of these truths supersedes the other. You might go home today and feel defeated or guilty or ashamed, or discouraged, or abandoned, or anxious because of your real-life circumstances. But you don't have to stay there. You can be lifted up because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because there is a truth that supersedes. You see, I believe that the reason that so many of us struggle day-to-day in the Christian life is because we are allowing the wrong truth to be the headline over our lives. We're allowing the wrong truth. We must learn to bring the truth of the gospel to bear on our life and on our circumstances and on our struggles and on our pains. There is a Scottish pastor who, was, who famously said, for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. You See, this is the way that we make our way through the Christian life. For every one look at ourselves, take ten looks at Christ. That's the true us. I want to close with this. I wonder. I wonder what it would change for you this morning. I wonder what it would change in your real everyday life if you could get Romans eight one deep into your DNA. I wonder what it would change. I wonder how much shame you could you could you could finally leave behind. I wonder how much striving you could stop and the rest that you could enter in your soul. I wonder how much hiding or how much fear you could quit. You know, you could just quit it, like you quit smoking. You could just quit fear. I wonder how much of that you could quit. If you could get this deep into your DNA. Man, I I wonder, I I just imagine how much your joy would increase. I, I wonder how much our hope would be Contagious. If we could get this into our DNA. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to truly free us of some stuff this morning. And so we're going to enter into a time of response. And I want to just invite you to listen to his voice. His voice is not a condemning voice. Um, Satan speaks to you and condemns you. The Spirit, Romans says, in his kindness, God in his kindness speaks to you through the Spirit and convicts you. Those are two very different things. The kindness of God convicts you, frees you, leads you into a new life in the Spirit. So I want to invite you as we respond, would you listen to his voice? What is he saying to you this morning? What is it that he's inviting you to leave behind and if you're here today and you've never claimed Jesus as your Savior, if you've never crowned him as your Lord, I just want to invite you to hear again Romans 8, one. There is something new for you that's available today, available right now. You can step into a new era, into new life, into a truly new you. Would you turn to him this morning in faith? Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for sending your Son in the likeness of human flesh for sin to condemn sin on our behalf. We thank you for giving us your life-giving Spirit within us that testifies to us that we are your children and that keeps us, and that helps us, lifts us up out of the shadow and the residue of sin and death like a 747 into your mighty mercy and grace. And so I pray this morning, Father, that you would help us to see ourselves now in this moment and into the future, not as we feel, but as we truly are In Christ, would you teach us, would you increase our joy and would you rid our shame? Would you abound our hope and would you free us of guilt that we might walk in the spirit and be your good news people in this world of sin and death until the day that you come again to make all things new? We honor you, Lord. We expect your presence as we enter into a time of response. Would you meet with us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.